today is we want to um, award our um, date night contest. Uh, several of you participated in this, and we had some really amazing ideas. And so you can go on the website and check under marriage um, resources, and you can see all these. That was the main purpose of this experience, uh, was for us to be able to share those uh, for all of us. If you were here last week, we talked about this idea of, of having a special date with our mate. And, and uh, so anyway, several of you couples did that. There, was, there were some ideas on there that were off the charts. There were some that were um, certainly didn't cost le- wouldn't cost less than thirty dollars. Some of you kind of that's why you didn't get selected. We asked you to pick it under thirty dollars. Um, for some, it was like you know one of those experiences where somebody's popping the question, you know, and uh, this real long elaborate thing that probably would only happen once once in a lifetime. It was very creative. Um, but we ended, we ended up half we debilitate or debilitated we felt we, debi- we felt debilitated after this but we were deliberating this all morning and right up until the first service and so we told all the rest of the services that that somebody got this but they we haven't actually announced it yet because a little bird told us that they would be at this service and so um, we're going to ask Tanner and Rebecca Colbreth to come down um, with their little man Tan- Tanner has. Uh, Tanner's been working in the coffee shop, and Rebecca had to get pulled out of the kids' classroom. And so, uh, so anyway, so great idea, eat. something that you can do consistently in your life. And they came up with a great one. You can go on the website and read it along with all the other ones. Now, what we have for them yes. um, is we have a night away at the Marriott. All right? Marriott. There's the Marriott. Um, we have, yeah, without Isaiah. Exactly. Yes. Um, we have a $75 gift certificate to the Bistro. Um, so you can eat about everything you want to there. We have this flower arrangement here um, that was given by the gar- Garden Trug. The Garden Trug. Donated that to us. Donated that to you all. And then we've got a little chocolates to just kind of add a little sweet to the, to the event. And so uh, let's give them a hand. So if you didn't participate in this time, we give out great prizes That's around here, say. okay? So uh, guess you guys will enter next time, so, won't you? So pay attention. This will be an everlasting love. This will be the one I've waited for. What comes to your mind when you hear that? Okay, a bunch of romance movies, yes, okay. Uh, it actually is the eHarmony theme song as well. And uh, so every time I hear that, I think of Soulmate. Uh, as a matter of fact, a couple on the way out uh, um, after the first service said, hey, we're eHarmony. Um, and so, uh, so uh, this is certainly nothing negative against eHarmony. I think it's a, a, a brilliant um, phenomenon in our culture. Um, as a matter of fact, it increases the pool you know, after college. I mean, if you don't get married in college, you know, where's a pretty good pool, um, you know, the pool shrinks. Have you ever noticed that? And, uh, you know, pretty much the pool is now who I go to work with, you know, and who's in my Sunday school class at church, and that's kind of the pool of who I interact with. And so, so these kinds of things kind of increase that pool. And so, again, it's, it's, it's a good thing. The only issue I have is this idea of a soulmate, this we talked last week about this magical thinking in our culture that we've all been impacted by. It gives us this idea that if I just find my soulmate, it's all about the finding. 
If I just find my soulmate, that when God creates two people, he stamps us with a little serial number and there's one person out of seven billion that matches that and we've got to kind of roam around through, through all of our life until we kind of find the right match and it's just kind of a, a magical kind of thing that if we find that person, then life will be bliss and we will all smile like they do in the commercials. And, um, and then the flip side of that I also have an issue with, that if we get in trouble in our marriage or we're struggling or we're having tension or things aren't just going great, then the idea pops in our mind that, gosh, maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe, maybe I picked the wrong person. Maybe my soulmate is still out there. Maybe it was that person that I dated in high school or college. Maybe I should have been with them. And now, in today's culture, with the WWW, you know, we can find that high school sweetheart in about five minutes. And so, so it gets us thinking in unhealthy ways. And so that's also one of the reasons why we do a lot of premarital counseling around here. We, we do a very extensive premarital counseling process because uh, there is something special, and we don't deme- diminish the finding process. But we also then need to learn how to create this. We need to learn how to roll our sleeves up. And how do we now create a marriage that will thrive and, and uh, will go for years and be everything that God has designed? As a matter of fact, we are encouraging couples to even do pre-engagement counseling. So when you think you found the person, now not after coffee for the first time, okay, um, <laughs> but after you've dated a person for a while and it's like, I think this is the one. That's the time that people ought to start this process uh, where they learn how to do this relationship and they learn how do, we, how do we actually love each other that will sustain these feelings for the next 70 years and how do we create the love of our life. And so, so if that's you or your children, um, I encourage you to call the counseling center and we've got a great process um, uh, for people that are involved in that. Another thing that's confusing in courtship is it seems like we have so much in common with this other person. We start dating and we get to know each other and it's like, oh my gosh, I have never met anybody that agrees on so many things with me. We are so much alike. And then after you date for a short period of time, you notice, oh, there's a few things that we're different in. And what we find out is we have as many or generally many, many more differences than we have similarities. Generally, we are going to be attracted to someone who is very different than we are. The idea of opposites attract, there's a reason why we hear that a lot, because we do tend to attract somebody opposite from us. Now, as long as we can appreciate that, as long as we can go, wow, you're really different from me. That's interesting. I could use some of those characteristics in my life, and this could be a really good thing. Then we do great. The problem is most of us look at each other and go, wow, you really think different than I do. You're wrong, and that's bad. And so, the reason you're looking at me there? Yes. You kind of lingered a little too long there in my eyes there. So, so the key to a good relationship is to look at those differences, whether it's in your marriage, with, with your kids, with other people that you're interacting with, to look at those differences and go, wow, there is something good in us being different. How can I value those differences in you instead of work so hard in getting you to change and be more like me? From our viewpoint, there are three major areas um, of our life that make us who we are. 
And you really have to look at all three of these to get a picture of ourself and get an understanding of who your partner is or who your boss is or your child or roommate, um, whatever it might be. Um, the first one is our gender. Have you noticed that we men and women are just a little bit different? Um, that we're wired different, we kind of think different about most things. Now, if you read the men are from Mars and women from Venus stuff, it would suggest that all differences are totally based on gender. I think that would be highly simplistic to think that that could be the case. We could take all the men in the room and stick them over here and all the women in the room and stick them over there, and you're going to see a wide variety uh, within that context. But you're going to see some general similarities within each, each of those genders. And so that has a significant impact on who we are. The second area that we're going to look at is what we talked about at the Awaken series. It's our inborn personality type or personality style. Have you noticed that you can have two kids born in the same family with the same parents and they are dramatically different in personality? Who our personality is or, or what we have in terms of personality really makes an impact on all of our relationships. So we're going to take a look at a few of those today. And then the third one is our life experiences. All of those things that have happened to us. Now, if you're a pure behaviorist, you would say that we are born with as blank slates. And who you become is totally dependent on the things that happen in your life. In my opinion, that's too simplistic as well. I think there is some hardwiring, some pre-wiring that takes place. But we are certainly influenced in huge ways by all of the things that have happened to us in our life. The more you understand yourself, the more you understand another and value both and realize that we have been created to be this way. They have been created to be that way. That gives us the foundation and the potential to get the full benefit, to squeeze all the juice out of the lemon, so to speak, of our relationships. We get what we call the power of synergy. God's plan is you take these two very different people, you blend them together, and they're still who they are, but now they're a powerful team. And so it's one plus one equals three. Um, something significant happens in the blending. The challenge is if we don't value those differences in our process of coming together, we tend to do this. What would you do that for? Why did this happen? And it turns adversarial. And so how do we value those and, and uh, speak life and encourage one another and get the best we can out of the, out of the union? So first we're going to take a look at, at gender differences. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, as Brent said, not all women are alike and not all men are alike, but we have found a few generalities that we think are fun and that we have seen across the board. So let's take a first look. What an engineer would say is the difference between men and women. Yeah, there's a little bit of a difference there. We don't really need to even say anything. It's yeah, just pretty is, much the picture kind said. of says it all. So, five things you would never expect a woman to say. Number one, oh, honey, don't worry about cleaning up. You go watch Sports Center. Number two, does this skirt make my behind look too small? Number three, oh, my gosh, this diamond is way too big. Number four, and Brent put this in here, I'm wrong. You must be right. That might be more personality than gender, honey. Um, and his favorite, we communicate way too much. We've got to be more physical. <laughs> Let's just stop and linger on that one for a minute. And 
meditate on that. Five things you would never expect a man to say. While I'm up, why don't I just clean up the kitchen? I think we're lost. Let's pull off and get some directions. Honey, forget Monday night football. Let's just sit and talk. I haven't been to the mall in forever. Sometimes I just want to be held. <laughs> uh, speaking about malls, um, we, there's a, you, you take a look at the mission. Go to Gap and buy a pair of pants. The male takes six minutes and it costs $33. The female takes three hours and 26 minutes and it costs $876. And, and I told Brent that is not accurate for me at all because I would not spend nearly that much time in Sears. So I'm just, I'm just saying. Nothing against Sears. Yes, we... nothing against Sears. Little disclaimer there. You know, it's not a surprise that we, we act differently and we think differently. We are different in every single cell of our body. So why do we think that we're going to be alike? Why do we think that we're going to see things from the same perspective? There's a few physiological differences other than the obvious ones you're aware of um, that we thought would be interesting for you to hear. For instance, for every 100 female babies conceived, there are 125 male babies that are conceived. For every 100 females born, there are 105 males born. More male babies are miscarried than female babies. At 18, we are even up, 100 for 100. What happens when we get older? The men drop off like flies. <laughs> After age 85, for every 100 females, there are 44 males. That's why men are so popular in the nursing homes. <laughs> There's all kinds of reasons why women outlive men. One of these is on our next slide. Um, <laughs> Gives us some perspective. Um, some of the physiological differences. Um, again, uh, males, as Janice already alluded to, 33% more die in the first year. Women have a better immune system. Men have a gallon and a half of blood. Women have about 0.8 gallons of blood. Men, uh, their heart delivers oxygen 20% faster to the body. Um, women are more sensitive to pain but have a much higher threshold for pain. I always say that if it was up to us to have the babies, that we would all just have had one child. Uh, there's something about that pain threshold that they're pretty amazing at. Men have more muscle mass. Women have what Brent very nicely calls a layer of insulating cells. That is fat. It makes it, it, makes it easier to gain weight, and it makes it harder uh, for women to lose weight. A man's strength will increase from puberty until age 30. A woman's strength increases until age 12, and then it levels off. If a woman does not actively work on increasing her strength, it will level off at age 12. Men have one million more red blood cells in each drop of blood. There's a higher energy level that they have. Uh, women have a larger and more active thyroid. Uh, it creates kind of the smoother skin and, and hairless features. Uh, they have a higher emotional expression. Uh, they laugh easier and cry easier than we do. Men have thicker bones. I want to say harder heads, but I keep telling myself I'm not going to say that anymore, so I won't. It's not in the notes. It's anywhere. not. Women hear better, and they're more sensitive to tone of voice. So, guys, if your wife has said, stop yelling at me, and you go, what? I'm not yelling. And she goes, see, you're yelling. 
it's because women are more sensitive to tone of voice. The way our memory is organized is different between a man and a woman. A woman can remember a large number of details, whether they are interrelated or not. She can just remember a lot of details. A man can remember a lot of details if they are on a framework that is meaningful for them or is important to them. So if any of you guys have sons, you'll realize that they may know all of the NBA players' heights and weight and probably what college they came from, and maybe even the year they were recruited, they'll know all these details, but they don't have a clue where their backpack is or where their shoes are. It's just a difference in the importance of information and how our brains are organized. And we could go on and on for those. Um, the most significant um, difference that we see is what happens in our brain development. About 18 to 26 weeks of gestation, something significant happens in little, boy, in little boys. Testosterone and other male hormones begin to interact with the body, and something happens in what's called the corpus callosum, which is the connecting tissue between the hemispheres of the brain. You've heard of the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And in little boys, um, they begin to they, um, shrink in size. And so done autopsies, and women have much larger corpus callosums. And, and it creates 85% of the, in the population... Uh, that men tend to be more unilateral in how they process information. They'll process with one hemisphere at a time. And 85% of the males are more left brain dominant. Uh, they spend most of their time in, in the left brain, so their expression is usually through logic, through problem solving, and they tend to be more task-oriented. Uh, women, again, because they have this connecting tissue from left hemisphere and right hemisphere, they take the logic from the left hem hemisphere and more the emotions from the right hemisphere, and they interconnect those. We say women have a spaghetti brain. Uh, where you kind of interconnect those. And it causes her to be bilateral. She'll process with both uh, hemispheres at the same time. She's much more connected with her right hemisphere, much more connected to her emotions and her feelings. She can communicate those a lot more easy, e a lot easier, and it makes her more relational in nature. That's why, ladies, sometimes when you'll ask your husband, you'll go, so what, what do you feel about this? He will pause for a minute you know, if, if you ask a woman what she feels about something, she'll go, oh, I'm frustrated over that, or I'm really happy about that. It's right there. Because the emotions and the speech centers are housed in different sides of the brain. And a woman's interconnects very easily. So she can come up with her feelings and share them instantaneously. Because the difference in the corpus callosum, a man has to think for a minute. He has to stop and go, what do I feel? and then translate that over to the speech center of his brain before it comes out. So he's not faking you out when he has that pause. <laughs> I hear this in marriage counseling a lot. People go, women go, why does he have to think about what he's feeling? Why can't he just say it? Is he making something up? No. It just takes him a little longer to identify that feeling. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. There's just different strengths and weaknesses that come with them. The strength of a man is because his brain is more compartmentalized, he can hone in on a task and he can accomplish it no matter what he feels like. That's why at work, guys can work with people that they absolutely hate, and yet they still enjoy their job. And, and they get it done, and it doesn't bother them. They'll go, so they're jerks. I don't care. I'm doing what I want to do.
Because women are more relationship-oriented, they're great at building relationships, telling you what you need to do to build a relationship, developing great families and marriages, but they're going to have a harder time when they're working with people that they don't like or people that don't like them. It takes more energy for them because they don't have that single focus. It's the same thing that we see when we're dealing with speech. Men communicate in order to solve a problem or accomplish a task. Women communicate in order to build a relationship. So if a woman is sharing something with her husband, it's because she wants to be close to him. She wants him to be involved in her world. But because he's task-oriented, his natural tendency is to go, aha, she's presenting me with a problem that I need to fix. So she can say, oh, I had a terrible day at work, and this and this and this happened. And he'll say something like, honey, what you need to do is... And have you guys noticed that doesn't go over well? Yeah. Because she doesn't need you to fix it. She needs you to build a relationship with her. And so your response, guys, is, oh, that sounds terrible. Poor baby. Let's go out to dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's the best response that you can have. And women, you have a responsibility to go, hey, I just want to share with you what's going on. I don't need you to fix it. I just want to talk about it for a, for a few minutes. Now, this generality is, as Brent said, about 85% of the population. There's 15% of the population where the male tends to be more right brain dominant, but generally he will marry someone who is more left brain dominant. So it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you if you read things on male-female differences and go, gee, we're kind of the opposite with this. God created you exactly who you are for a reason. So there's nothing wrong with you. Just know that you're probably going to marry someone that's opposite of you because that opposites attract. The second one is environmental influence. Now, this can be family of origin. This can be the influence of a loving and nurturing parent. Or it can be the influence of an angry parent or an alcoholic parent. It can be the influence of crazy Uncle Fred that was always around and, and the impact that that's had. Uh, certainly can be birth order, too, whether you were the first or the last or somewhere in, the, in between. That's an environmental influence. Uh, and then it also is just your life experiences, whether you had a good education, uh, uh, whether you were bullied on the playground, uh, whether you had that that Sunday school teacher that just inspired you with the scriptures and the stories of scriptures that kind of inspired you about the Bible. Whatever you're we're influenced by is going to impact you. And we have to realize in marriage that we marry the whole package. You get all of the good stuff, but you also are putting your arms around the difficulties and the challenges and the hurts and the traumas and, and, and all of those things. A scripture that I think is very telling uh, in marriage is Matthew 13, 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Uh, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all and bought that field. So he saw this treasure, and I see all of these incredible qualities uh, that are godlike, and I'm so attracted that I want um, to be in relationship with that person. But they also come with a field, each of us are not totally treasure-like. We come in fields. We've had some difficulties. and In fields, you have thistles and weeds and stumps and things that aren't quite so treasure-like. And so marriage is the commitment to all of that. So I'm marrying childhood traumas. I'm marrying the in-laws and the outlaws and all, all, all of those people I'm making that commitment to. You guys have heard us say that 
Good, healthy marriages come from good, healthy habits. It's having those good habits and continuing them over and over again that really builds the kind of relationships that we want to have. But oftentimes, we bring in some not-so-healthy habits from the family that we grew up in or from some of our other life experiences. And so sometimes we need to come in for counseling, not so we can be inspired, though, of course, we want you guys to be inspired, but so that you can learn some healthier habits than what you grew up with. Sometimes you just need some good tools to implement in your life so that you can have a healthy relationship and a healthy family. That's one of the reasons why we give you so many homework assignments when we speak is because we want you to have tools so that you can develop those healthy habits and then repeat them over and over again to grow into good and positive relationships. Next area that we're going to look at is personality temperaments. 90% of us marry someone with a different dominant temperament than we have. And so oftentimes that's the source of a lot of our conflicts. We look at the world a different way. We have different backgrounds. We're male and female, and we have different personalities. So we're going to view things from a different perspective. And the challenge is during courtship, we see all the strengths, of course, because um, we kind of see through a romantic haze, and that's basically all that we allow ourselves to see. But all of us know after you've gotten to know, some, know someone for a while, or certainly after you've been married for about five minutes, uh, you know that they come with some weaknesses too. And our tendency is we, we, we slip, our focus slips from seeing the strengths to now we see the weaknesses. And then what we want to do is I want to accept all of your strengths, but I want you to change these weaknesses. And actually, I'd like you to change your weaknesses from the weaknesses of your personality into the strengths of my personality. So I would like you to be schizophrenic. I would like you to be two different people because um, I want you just to have strengths of everything. And it just doesn't quite work that way. Now, um, because we're um, real short in time on a Sunday morning here, we're just going to highlight these really quick. There's all kinds of different personality tests out there. The one that we're referencing here is... Uh, the oldest one that was actually developed by Hippocrates about 2500 B.C. So he was studying human behavior and seeing that different people um, were born with just different tendencies. Uh, we looked at in the Awaken um, workshop that we did, we looked at the Myers-Briggs. It's a great one. Um, this one, you're going to see us use words that are kind of ancient words. That's why these words are so weird. Um, but just listen for the characteristics of each of these. Most of us are going to find ourselves with a dominant temperament and a secondary one. So one of these, you're going to think, ah, oh, that's mostly me. Uh, but then you're going to go, but I'm also kind of part of that one too. And so think about yourself, your partner, your kids, your roommate, your boss, your parents, whatever the relationships might look like. The first one we're going to take a look at is the sanguine. The sanguine's goal in life is to have fun today. These are the party animals. They're going to have fun wherever they go and whatever they do. They're very animated. They're playful. They're great around other people. They can generate a lot of excitement and a lot of energy. They usually laugh a lot. They can sell anything to anybody. They never meet a stranger. They have lots of best friends. They just can't remember their names. Um, they're very spontaneous, they're funny, they're delightful, and oftentimes they're very loud. Peter in scripture is an example of a sanguine. Remember how Peter would step out and do things? And sometimes it was right and sometimes it was wrong. But he was bold in stepping out and doing things. These are the people that are they're easily angered, but then they get over and it's like, what? What's the matter now? They move on and go on with life. 
The second one is melancholy. The main theme of their life is to do things the right way. Um, Moses was our melancholy. He got the children of Israel all organized into tribes and systems and structured. And, and uh, melancholies are analytical, persistent, self-sacrificing, sensitive, planners, they're scheduled, they're orderly, they're faithful. Sounds like a little puppy. Um, detailed, be careful. Um, cultured, idealistic, thoughtful, loyal, chart maker, perfectionist, behaved. Those are our melancholies. The third kind is the choleric. The choleric's goal in life is to do things my way. Where the melancholy's goal in life is to do things the right way, the clerics want it done their way. They are the leaders, the drivers, the bosses. They are the head of almost everything they're involved with. If you have a cleric child, you know it. They're probably dominating the preschool. Um, they're very strong, persuasive, strong-willed, very self-reliant, very confident. Clerics don't have many friends, but they don't care because they want to get things done and they want to get things accomplished. They're very goal-oriented. Paul in scripture is an example of a choleric. He was powerful and dominating when he was persecuting Christians. And he was powerful and dominating when he was the head of the Christian church. But remember, he had to be blinded and knocked off his donkey in order to have that conversion experience. Strong personalities, great leaders. Phlegmatics are our last ones. Uh, the main theme of the phlegmatics life is don't rock the boat. Just keep the peace. They're very steady. Uh, we always leave them to the last in case we run out of time because they understand. It's like, it, it's okay, it's, it's fine, it doesn't matter. Um, they're real steady. Abraham is our phlegmatic. They're adaptable, peaceful, controlled, reserved, satisfied, friendly, diplomatic, inoffensive, dry sense of humor. Uh, they're tolerant, they're good listeners, they're contented, they're pleasant. Now... Early in our marriage, we recognized not only did we marry an opposite dominant, but we married a completely different person. Um, we have total different personality styles. Some people, their secondary kind of overlaps a little bit. Um, Janice is a choleric sanguine. Uh, I'm a melancholy phlegmatic. Now, one of the ways that this came out in our life was that in how we kind of kept a closet. Now, as a melancholy phlegmatic, I'm pretty orderly and structured. Now, remember, it takes all three of these areas to form who we are. Not only was my personality bent that way, but my dad was a colonel in the army. Remember that. And so he kind of sent my neatness, neat, neatness into neat nuttiness, okay, um, kind, of, kind of in a hyperdrive. And so, so um, we started recognizing we shared a closet um, early in our marriage, and my half of the closet was organized a certain way, and I had certain shirts hung up certain ways and pants and shoe trees and all my shoes. And they, and they were always exactly the same amount of part, and it started from like I don't the think pastels we need to, go into that to the at dark. All. <laughs> and did you hear shoe trees in every shoe? Okay, that's you had fine. shoe trees in every shoe. Shoe trees are good, right? Some people have shoe trees. <laughs> I didn't know what they Please. were when I married him. <laughs> anyway, um, so one day... Well, and Janice's side of the closet, I mean, there were some things that were on hangers. Some of the things were on hangers. Others weren't. Um, anyway, so our, so our closets were different. So I got home from work early one day, and I was going to fix her closet. Um, now, give me a break. I was only 22, okay? I wasn't real wise at this time. And so, so, um, so I went in and fixed I spent several hours. I made it the right way, and I fixed it, and it was beautiful.
And, and I just thought, life's going to be grand now. You know, she'll keep it this way now. She knows how to do it right. And so she'll keep it that way. And so I met her at the door, walked her into the closet and said, Honey, look what I did for you. Isn't this beautiful? And I didn't get a very good reaction. Um, her face kind of flushed, her little fist kind of, you know, flinched, and, and uh, tears kind of started coming to her eyes. It was like, what? You know, what? this is good, right? And, and uh, she didn't feel it was good. And so we spent, we had some interesting interactions, let's just say. For the next couple of hours, we had some discussions. And uh, I found out, now, thankful, thankful, thankful for the Holy Spirit, uh, if I could put into words, now he didn't write it on the wall, I didn't hear an audible voice, let me make that clear. But if I could have got one of the most profound impressions that I can remember still 30 years later, uh, the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? <laughs> I have given you this gift. I've given you this person to help you lighten up and stop and smell the roses and enjoy life and not have a heart attack by the age of 40. And, um, and you're choking this gift and trying to strangle it and trying to make her into something else. And the other thing that came to my mind, I don't know if it was hours later or days later, but I really begin to remember all the really positive qualities as we list the cleric and sanguine qualities that we just did. She has so many of those things that are so different than mine. And all of a sudden, my attitude changed. Instead of, um, were you like raised in a barn you know, there's something wrong with you. Instead, that was my attitude before. But now it turned into, you know, there's something that's bugging me. Can we talk about it? I've had people say, now, does it mean that you started looking at her strengths and the closet never bugged you again? And I have to say, no, that didn't happen. But my attitude changed. Instead of seeing that as a negative, I saw it as, okay, this is just her. That, she has other priorities. A cleric sanguine is not going to spend in time organizing their closet. It makes no sense to them. They got things to do. They've got the world to change, you know? Um, and so I begin to see those values in that, and something begin to begin to change. And we had a discussion soon after that, and we came up with a plan for our life. We were just about ready to buy our first house, and we agreed that every house that we bought, we would have separate closets. Um, <laughs> she could have a hers closet. I could have a his closet. I would never go close to hers as long as she closed the door. Um, and it brought us starting a process of beginning to connect our differences. I could have sent our marriage in a whole different direction, being critical and judgmental and turned it adversarial and truly choked the life out of this gift that I was given. Um, but I was able to see the benefits that God wanted for, for my life to have. The interesting thing was when he stopped criticizing and accepted me for who I was, I found myself noticing some of his good habits. Like when Brent went to get dressed in the morning, he could find his shoes. Like every time, you know, <laughs> I, I would sit there and go through a pile on the floor and go, oh, there's a blue one. Oh, there's a red one. Oh, there's another blue one, but it's not the same kind. And, and so I began to notice that he had really good habits that I could incorporate in my life. He didn't spend 10 minutes looking for his car keys every time he left the house. He knew where they were. And so I found myself as the years went on going, wow, I think I want to be more like that in this way. Oh, I'll do this. Now, I am never going to be like his family. I wasn't raised with the colonel. I'm never going <laughs> to be like their family. 
But what we have found is we have come dramatically to the center over the years. So now if you go and look in our closet, we pretty much keep it the same way. He's relaxed a lot. I've gotten a lot neater. In fact, this weekend he built a new closet system in for me. It was wonderful. And I asked him to. Um, <laughs> that was the miracle of yeah. it all. <laughs> God so is a good God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, we've really found that over 33 years that we've come to the center in many ways because we've come to really appreciate the differences that we have and that we can each benefit by learning from each other and our own habits. Final thought before we go. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Uh, goes on to say that in the peace of God will be with you. So final exercise as you leave today. Got to give you an exercise. You're going to see on the chairs, um, you should have a little piece of paper like this. Again, it's got the his and hers. If you're not married, um, think about a boss. Think about an adult child that you're dealing with. Think about a younger child, whatever it is that you're trying to get a different focus on. What I'm going to ask you to do, if, if you take his, you'll put your wife's name on there. And then you list five qualities that are a benefit of my partner's gender. Top five positive characteristics of my partner's personality type. And then the five strengths that my partner brought into the relationship that came from the influence of their family and life experiences. Now what you do then, I ask you to take 30 days. Again, it, you get to choose what you focus on. Take 30 days and read this through with a thankful heart. Now the way I do that in my life Everybody's going to do that a little different. This is what it would look like for me. Lord, thank you for Janice. Thank you for her beauty, her soft and smooth skin. Thank you for how nurturing she is, how sensitive she is. Thank you for her natural relational abilities. Thank you for how passionate she is about her children. Thank you for her inspiring nature, her refreshing personality, how resourceful and dis dis um, decisive she is, how sociable she is. Thank you for the her family influence that helped nurture responsibility and her being fun-loving and being frugal and playful and hardworking. And if something begins to form in us as we read those through and think those through on a daily basis, all of a sudden your attitude begins to change. And then during that 30 days, I encourage you, every time you see them display one of those characteristics, verbally affirm them. Wow, I really appreciate that about you. When we go out uh, in social uh, engagements, I've, I've said before that my personality, I can turn any conversation serious in eight seconds. And so it's just something about me as a counselor and as a pastor, and she keeps things light and fun, and I desperately need light and fun. And so we oftentimes lead a, leave a social in, engagement, and I say, thank you for keeping that light and fun. Something like this can begin to change your attitude, begin to change something in you. You're speaking life to them, you're encouraging them, and you're reminding yourself. The last thing before we stand is I want to invite you once again. We're going to take 45 seconds and watch this video to an experience that we're going to have this summer. We've been doing this for several years. This is a sanctuary event. It's just for us. And let's watch this.
Stand to your feet this morning. Encourage you. We've got couples out at the info desk. We'll give you more information about this. Something we have to we kind of takes a little planning. It's in June, um, but let's create. Let's make a decision to create the love of our life. Let's lift our voices as we leave today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.